This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hello and welcome to another episode of Morgan's Pop Talks, breaking down the latest in reality TV and pop culture. How are we? Happy to make it here on a Thursday. I'm looking pale as ever. I've noticed in the Logitech screen that I'm staring at myself in right now, you know, the dead of winter. We're in the deep freeze. We're all in the thick of it, aren't we? It is. Let's see how warm it is, how warm it is, how cold it is right now where I am in Northeast Ohio. Um, Yeah, it is 19 degrees. 19 degrees when I woke up this morning, it was six, six degrees. But you know what? The sun is shining, which is, that's the only thing that matters to me. It can be negative 15 degrees. I mean, I'm still not going to leave my apartment because I just don't do those types of things. But if the sun is shining and the skies are blue, I don't care what's going on. It's better than the gray, depressing stuff that I get 95% of the time here in Northeast Ohio. So I hope you are bearing down. I hope that you are warm watching a lot of TV shows because we have a lot to discuss today on MPT. Of course, we have the Salt Lake City reunion part two. We have a breakup. We got, I get to the bottom of what's going on with Winter House because there's some rumors circulating around right now. So let's just dive on in. Let's get into it. And start with the pop three. Number one, Sam Fair and Corey Kiefer have broken up. But more specifically, Sam broke up with Corey Kiefer. Period. Dot. On God. Could wrap it up right there, honestly. Did we expect this? Yes. Did we see this coming? Also, yes. I don't think anybody was surprised um, when Sam made this announcement on the Not Skinny But Not Fat podcast with Amanda Hirsch. We're going to break down all the juiciest details, in my opinion, in my opinion. Um, but she said she she broke up with Corey before the Winter House reunion aired and just before the holidays. Um, so there was a couple problems in the relationship, according to Sam. One being she really had a hard time watching back what happened on Winter House. And Corey didn't give her any indication of what she was going to be watching back. So like the baby birding and Jordan crying over him and him saying things like, you know, I'm going to try to push the boundaries in his confessional. She was not mentally prepared for all of that. The only thing that he told her was like, look, I didn't. I didn't hook up with anybody, so all is good. Um, but obviously, you would still want the heads up, I think, in that type of situation. So that was strike number one, right? Red flag number one. Strike number two, um, she said he didn't say I love you to her. So I'm going to read the quote. He, she said, I said I love you to him, and he never said it to me. He didn't say it back when I said it to him, and he then he never said it to me for the rest of the relationship. And that was a big problem for me. I was like, I think I need to get out. It's becoming clear. And I'm sorry that I always get distracted, but I can always see the Amazon delivery man walk past my window right in the middle of recording the podcast episode. So I'm wondering if I'm getting a package for my wedding. I'm probably not. But anyways, she says, I didn't break up with him because I don't love him. I broke up with him because he doesn't love me. When I ended it, he was shocked. So I posted about this earlier 
in the week. It's a resurfaced interview clip from Side Piece, who's on this podcast network. So you can go back and listen to it. Um, but Corey said, he did say, I love you to Sam. Watch that clip. And you and I and everyone around, we're having a come to Jesus, can agree that um, Corey never said that to Sam. <laughs> like, all you have to do is watch the interview clip and see how it takes him three minutes to answer a question that should be a yes or no question to tell that he never said it to her. Okay. And like, there's been some DM conversations that I can tell you. I'm not going to tell you like who or what was said, but he didn't say that to her. Okay. He was like, uh, yes, but I only say it to my mom, my dad, my sister. Yes, but I'm really bad at, at saying it. Yes, but I used to say it a lot, but now I don't say it a lot because um, I didn't actually love those girls and I left them heartbroken. But, um, and Melissa's like, did you say it? And he's like, uh, yes. I mean, it's just squirming around so uncomfortable. So I feel like Sam wouldn't lie about something like that. And he just looked way too uncomfortable to believe that side of the story. Um, I do have to say in the podcast episode, I do still think that Sam holds some resentment for the women involved in the situation, Malia and Jordan both. Um, when I just don't think it's fair to blame either of them, you know, because she says there was still blatant lies. Nobody told me that Malia, the first episode said she wanted to hook up with Corey. Nobody said that Jordan went to his room and was crying. And I know that we like have had Malia on the show and we've talked about talked about this, but regardless of whether or not I interviewed Malia, like Winterhouse is about a uh sorry, there goes Amazon Man again. Winterhouse is about a house of singles. And that is like so obvious, right? The only people that were in a relationship then were Amanda and Kyle. Everybody else was single. It's a hookup house. So if she's still upset about things that happened on the first episode, it's because I think primarily everybody walked into that house and they were sizing each other up. They, Danielle did it. Um, Katie did it. You know, Schwartz did it. Everybody was doing it. And whose responsibility is it to say, hey, there is another girl involved. It's Corey's responsibility and Corey's responsibility only. Now, I will say that it's easier said than done to have that mentality. You know, Sam is 24 and I'm not saying that in a condescending way. I'm just saying that I remember when I was 24 and, you know, going through similar relationship stuff because guys aren't ready to settle down and, and girls are always on the prowl and like you do want to blame everybody involved. But, you know, I think that 99% of the blame here needs to go um, to Corey, you know, but I do understand that it still hurts. I think it would hurt anybody. And the a third red flag, if you will, third strike was she said, you know, while Corey was doing these confessionals for Winter House, he would come to my apartment in New York. So he would be at my apartment in New York. I would take him to do his confessionals and then he would sit there in his confessionals and he would say, you know, you got to, you know what, or get off the pot when it comes to making Sam as a girlfriend and then we'll come back to her house and like get into bed with her and stuff. And it was just totally messed up. I also understand, but I also think there's some nuance to that situation, right? Anytime they do a confessional, it's after the season had already been filmed. You have to transport yourself back to where you were. I mean, it's tricky. We're going to see it a lot with Carl and Lindsay who are very much so broken up. Don't even speak to each other whatsoever. And they are now having to go do confessionals before this breakup episode and talking about 
wedding planning and how happy and in love we are. And that's got to be like crazy on the psyche, I think. Do I still think that Corey was rude? Yes. Do I still think that Corey is noncommittal? Yes. So at the end of the day, um, I said, I'm happy. I'm sad for Sam's heartbreak, but I'm happy for her strength that she left on her own. And, you know, she didn't beg him to do anything. She was like, I'm going to leave this relationship because it's clear that we're not on the same page. And I think more people should follow her example on that. Staying in the winter house vein, let's move on to number two in this week's pop three is winter house on pause. So this was a Dumois blind. I saw it posted on um, Real Moms of Bravo Instagram account, one of my favorite Instagram accounts, love Abby and Vanessa. So go follow. Um, I can confirm to you. It is true. Winter house is on pause. So it's not canceled, um, but it is on pause. So according to a source who I can't reveal, Bravo emailed some of the previous winter house people right in the winter house bubble saying that the network didn't have enough time slots for the show this upcoming year that it wasn't a cancellation but that they won't be filming this winter so kind of vague I don't know how I feel about this and I don't know if I believe that um that's what they said so I don't know I don't know like why they would lie unless they just want it to be, you know, unless they don't want to make a big kerfluffle out of it or whatever. But, you know, they had their highest ratings ever this season. People were talking about it. You know, it was the, off the heels of Scandaval. You know, Schwartz was there with Floody. Danielle was there with Alex. You know, there was all these huge components. Some people think that it's because Amanda Batula. Now, this is not confirmed. So, and I don't think she is pregnant, but some people do think that she's pregnant. They think she's pregnant because there was, when the cast photos came out for Summer House and she's in that stunning red dress, can I just say, I think Amanda Batula is like, just, she's, I love her style the most out of anybody, um, specifically on Summer House, maybe even on Bravo, because I feel like she's just so cool and she doesn't even have to try and she like doesn't wear a lot of makeup and I just think she's like the most gorgeous human ever. But anyways... So she was in that stunning red dress with the Hailey Bieber um, blonde hair, you know, and Bravo put a sun emoji over her stomach and people were like, what? That's weird. And like, yeah, it is weird. People are obviously going to assume, especially because if you watched the last season of Winter House, you know, that's one of their storylines between Kyle and Amanda. If you look at the bios for this upcoming season of Summer House, it's talking about how Amanda wants to, you know, have a baby, move to the suburbs. Kyle doesn't know if he's ready for that. People assume things. So she went on her Instagram story and said, I don't know why they did that. They told me it was because my dress was somewhat sheer. It was red, but it did have a sheer tint to it. And they couldn't show her underwear on social media. I have no idea. She was like, look, I prance around in a bikini the entire summer and they have no problem showing that, but they can't show my underwear through a somewhat sheer dress. So that's her story. I am going to believe her. Um, but some people did think that maybe Winter House was paused because, you know, Kyle and Amanda wouldn't be able to go. I don't know. I mean, it is primarily a singles house, like I said. So do you even need Kyle and Amanda? 
depends who you ask. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not like terribly upset that it's on pause. I also think that it would be beneficial for them if they don't have a time slot. And this is what makes me think it might be an excuse. If they don't have a time slot for it, they could just put it on Peacock, kind of what they did Real Housewives of Miami um, when they did like the Vanderpump Rules watch with Jackson Brittany, you know, that kind of stuff. So there are Peacock exclusives, you know, they have the uncensored reunions and the extended reunions and all the things. Um, so I don't know. I also do think winter house should be treated like an ultimate girls trip, you know, because it's not a full fledged season. They only film for two weeks, um, similar to a girls trip where it's only one week and it's this spinoff type thing, which girls trips are also only on Peacock until however many months later. So I don't know, maybe they're trying to redo that. Um, but yes, no winter house filming this year. Today's sponsor is Factor Meals. Finally starting to get warmer. You want to spend your time outside and not in the kitchen. With Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Visit factormeals.com slash poptalks50 and use code poptalks50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. You can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash poptalks50 and use code poptalks50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code poptalks50 at factormeals.com slash poptalks50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Let's move on to the Southern Charm reunion, which I know we get part two tonight, but there were some pretty um, monumental parts of part one. I want to start with Shep confronting his drinking. So Shep talks about what happened at BravoCon and how he had a come to Jesus after BravoCon. And I can tell you as someone who is at Bravo con and this isn't like making it about myself, but I just do have a, a chef run in and I can also just tell you that chef's behavior in general was a big topic of discussion at Bravo con, right? So there would be depending on what ticket you get, there would be like these different rooms. And if you had the VIP ticket, you were allowed to go into this like Hilton VIP room where there's complimentary drinks and there are some snacks and like couches that you could sit down on. And occasionally Bravo Labs would like pop in and out there. So you wouldn't have to wait for like a photo op to go see somebody. Um, and even like when me and some of my friends were standing around, people would be like, did you hear about Shep? Like running around through casinos, drunk, being rude to staff, being rude to fans. Um, you know, he did say on the reunion that he was blacked out the entire time. David and I did have one encounter with Shep and um, yes, he was very drunk. I think I've, I think I talked about this on the podcast after I came back from BravoCon, but we were in that room. David and I were sitting by the door. Shep was doing photo ops with people like on a, on a red carpet type situation. So we weren't actively trying to like take a picture with him or whatever, but um, as he's leaving, he walks past our table and David being from South Africa is like, Hey, I, I saw you went to South Africa. I'm from there. I'm really glad, glad that you loved it. And that like caught Shep's attention. Right. So he like 
he was like beelining for the door and he immediately like swirls his head back around and it's like his eyes were just locked in to David and he got super close to his face, like really close. He's like, oh man, you know, like very chef-like. And I think I made some like side comment. That tickled my throat a little bit. Gosh, Morgan. Can't do the raspy chef. Anyways, I said something and he then like, like robot lasered into my eyes and it's as if he forgot that david was even there you know like he was just very out of it very close to my face did spit on me a little bit and i'm not saying this to like make it worse for chef i'm just telling you like it was a topic of conversation for everybody there that weekend and people were talking about their experiences so you're my sister so i was going to tell you about mine anyways so he gets home, he has this intervention, and Craig and Austin don't go to it. So Craig really had this um, moving in a good way or in a bad way, depending how you look at it. Um, quote to him, he says, after BravoCon, oh no, wait, let me start. He said, this road that you're on ends with a cliff. I can't be in that car anymore. That's why I didn't go to that meeting. He said, after BravoCon, it's dark. But I was like, he's going to ruin his life. And I have to be okay with that because we've been here before. So a little bit of a tough love moment. Shep responds. He's defensive. And he says, okay, you guys don't owe me anything. But, you know, the boys are like, listen, man, we have your back. We want to be here for you. We just don't want to be on the merry-go-round with you, you know, especially when it comes to this. That has severe consequences if things go wrong. So Shep says, I didn't have anything. I thought, who am I? How am I of any value to anybody? You're hurting yourself. And that's a scary thought to have. Um, I was really surprised that he admitted to having those types of thoughts on national television. I know that people, whatever you want to think of Shep, I think even having this conversation on national television is, is pretty brave. Um, you know, coupled those types of thoughts with an alcohol issue and it could potentially lead to a very bad road. So I think Shep needs to be surrounded by people who really support and love him and encourage sobriety in his life, you know? And I think that fans were thinking he was going to say that he was sober, but he says, you know, I just don't drink liquor. I don't drink shots. I just have beer. You know, I think a lot of times, um, how do I want to say this? I should, I shouldn't. Okay. Sometimes men struggle with the idea of growing up and, you know, letting go of the, the boy, you know, that could run around and have no consequences and drink until the wee hours of the morning. And it's like, you get to a certain point in life where you have to let that go. And it's almost like mourning the loss of your younger self. You know, and I feel like that's where Shep is right now. And it's a hard, hard place to be in, especially for someone who um, can be a bit prideful, you know, like it's hard to really just release yourself of that. And to, like I say, mourn the, the, the death of your younger self, of your, of your carefree self. Um, but I think that's where Shep is right now, you know, it's not the same in your forties as it is when you're 21 years old. And I think sometimes it can be hard for people to come to grips with that. Um, Craig, I think you can really tell has made some positive changes in his life. And I don't think it would be fair to put the responsibility of Shep 
on Craig, but I feel like if Craig can be a positive influence to Shep in that regard, I think it is a positive thing. So I'm going to leave it there with Shep. I'm going to talk about Taylor now because Taylor drops a bomb about Olivia and Thomas Ravenel um, 10 years ago. Olivia and Thomas hooked up and Taylor was saying it um, in reference to, you know, her kiss with Austin. She was like, For forgive as you would like to be forgiven. And, and Olivia's like, go ahead and say it. You're chomping at the bit. Obviously, Olivia already knew where she was going with that. And then Taylor comes out and says, you know, Olivia and Thomas. Now, I just, I'm like, are we really sitting here talking about how Olivia made a bad decision when she was 20 years old, 10 years ago, and not the fact that Thomas Ravenel made this decision when he was 50? Like, we know that he's no longer on Bravo for a reason, but it it is like like clockwork on Southern Charm that the guys get off scot-free. I mean, even Whitney, who went around showing a photo of Taylor. Whitney's in his 50s and he's doing that and he doesn't attend the reunion and he doesn't have to answer for it whatsoever. And instead, we're all focused on Olivia and Taylor and 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 calling Madison a bored housewife. But you have a 55-year-old man who's your executive producer sharing a nude of one of the cast members. I think it's messed up. I think it's messed up. And I'm not saying two things can be true. It could be wrong what Taylor did. And it also can be messed up of what Whitney did, right? At the same time. Um, everybody online is talking about this smirk that Taylor makes after she says it. And they're like, oh, the smirk says it all. That's exactly how Taylor feels about the situation. And I just want you to remember that this is reality television. And if you don't think that they would take a facial expression from another portion of the reunion and plug it in there, we got to be smarter than that. I'm not saying it's 100% out of the realm of possibility that she did smirk at it, but it's not like a wide shot of the whole room. It's a close up on Taylor. So she's just getting like annihilated for that. And it could very well be one of those spliced edits. So that's just a point I want you to think about. I do think, you know, Taylor's good at deflecting and not very good at taking any accountability for her actions. But I, I don't want to say as much because that's not true, but it does bother me that Olivia is still friends with Austin and it's fine. And they're going on vacations together. It's just weird. I just don't like it. I'm over it. Austin's, like they said, Austin's paper trail of women. Like, let's look. Sierra, um, Lindsay, Taylor, Olivia, Chelsea. God, I loved Chelsea. Madison. Anybody else? Six people that's on TV. Like, imagine how many people aren't on TV. I'm just over it. I'm over it. 
Anyways, today's podcast sponsor is OneSkin. And if you have sensitive skin, listen up. We got to talk about their scientifically proven topical supplements. Free from over 1,500 chemicals and preservatives that can make skin red and itchy and irritated, all the stuff we hate, their products are safe for sensitive skin. It's just one of the reasons they've earned the Skin Safe seal of approval. OneSkin's products are backed by extensive lab and clinical data to validate their efficacy and safety safety on all skin types. Not only that, they're the first and only skin longevity company to target cellular senescence, a key hallmark of aging. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, one skin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Say no more. Get started today with 15% off using code POPTALKS at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code POPTALKS. After your purchase, they're going to ask where you heard about them. Please support the show. Support your girl. Tell them I sent you because we give credit where credit is due here at MPT. Let's move on to the deep dive. Every single week on my Instagram, I open up the deep dives to you, except this week I didn't. Can I tell you why? I forgot that it was Tuesday. <laughs> you know, like um, we had a three-day weekend, had Monday off for MLK Junior Day. Just didn't compute my brain until today that it was Wednesday and that I needed to write a podcast episode and whoops, forgot to open the deep dives. But we're going to talk about The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, part two, the reunion. I got to be honest with you. I actually thought part two was more boring than part one. And I know a lot of people weren't happy with part one. They got to stretch these things out. I feel like there's a lot of stuff that we just, I mean, I shouldn't say we don't care about it. But like I said, last week, it's just really hard to come off the heels of such a bombshell and then to go over everything else that happened ages ago. But we got a lot of information about Monica and her mom, Linda. So the Bermuda trip. Monica initially blamed her mother for the family not wanting to meet her on camera. She called it an unsolved mystery. But I remember going on Twitter after that episode and Monica saying something along the lines of like, I know now that my mom wasn't responsible or whatever. And now she's still calling it an unsolved mystery. So according to Monica, what she thought happened was that her mom, Linda, wanted to go on the trip. It's her family, whatever. She wanted to be there. Production said no. So Linda was pissed. Linda called the extended family and said, don't film with them on camera. She was mad that she didn't get to go, whatever. Um, I see a world where that could be true. But it's like, does Monica's mom hold enough weight to these extended family members that they haven't seen in forever? to make that decision. I don't know. I don't know. But you know, Monica, I have no doubt that Monica's relationship with her mom is toxic. I think what makes it hard for me to digest is that both Monica and her mom are toxic. They are both toxic. Um, I feel for Monica. I don't think anybody should have a bad relationship with their mother. I mean, my relationship with my mom is like, the most important one in my life, you know, one of them. So I can certainly see how her upbringing and her relationship with her mom plays out in the way that she acts today, plays out in the way, in the decisions that she makes, you know, to like run reality bounties and say all these horrible things. Um, But I think that, I think that Monica probably did 
use her relationship with her mother to get on the show. Think about how hard it has to be for somebody to get on a Real Housewives show. It has to be really hard. And then you have someone like Monica Garcia show up who you have to like throw every dart at the board and see which one sticks. So she's probably like, um, I was best friends with Jen. I turned her into the feds and was a witness in her trial. I had a 10 year affair with my brother-in-law. I have a very contentious relationship with my mother who has no problem being on camera. You know what I mean? Like you have to sell yourself. So I don't think that her relationship with her mom was any secret to producers. And, you know, even like Linda, that's Monica's mom, has tweeted things like, Monica begged me to do this reality show. We've heard voice notes between Monica and her mom where Linda's like, you need to be the star. You need to get in every scene possible. So it's like, I think they both are like in that boat together. She also talks a little bit about her dad, no contact with her dad. Of course, we know that Linda left when she was 12 to be on TV. Um, like I said, their relationship is toxic. I think both individuals are toxic. And, you know, Monica says, um, after I came home from my audition, I thought I blew it. I thought there was no chance of me being on the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. I was crying and my mom prays, Lord, if it's not Monica, let it be me instead. And I saw Jeff Lewis say this right before I jumped on here and I'm mad that I did see it, but, but I was also thinking the same thing. I don't, I don't know that I can believe anything that Monica says, like any recollection of a story. I can't believe it. And, you know, he said these stories can be exaggerated, which I think is probably true. And I'm just sitting here thinking, okay, and this is not to be mean. And I really don't even think I need to go into much detail, but Linda is not going to be on the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. You know, she's just not. So I don't know why she would say that. Um, they talk about Greek Easter when Monica fell down the stairs. Now, we didn't see this in the show, but we heard a lot about it on social media. Monica tweeting that she was threatening to sue Angie for not having the handrail, you know, give her her ER bill. And she's like, have I ever sued anyone? And Heather's looking like a deer in headlights. You know, because Monica's saying in that tweet, I should sue you. I should send you the bill. And she's like, production paid for the bill. So cool it. Um, she's like, I've never sued one person. And Heather's like, hello, me in the room. Did you forget? Am I on the radar? Okay. And Monica's like, that's a counter sue. It's like, girl, <laughs> see, that's exactly, that's exactly what I'm talking about where her, she uses lies, but she like twists the truth. She's like, I've never sued anyone. It's a counter suit. That's still suing someone. But she thinks that it's not lying because she's not the first person to initiate the lawsuit. It's like, girl, no, no. And then Monica says, Meredith says, do you want to take her house? You could take her house talking about Angie because she fell down the stairs. And I'm like, I don't know what to think of Meredith. I really don't. I really don't. I don't know if she said it. I don't know if she didn't say it. So I'm just going to keep, 
I don't have a hot take. So I'm just going to tell you, I don't know if Meredith said it or not. The touchette of it all. Touchette, touchette, touchette. We don't know what that means. Monica talks about her four different names who I feel like could probably go along with the four different personalities that she has. It's Darnell, Fowler, Delgado, and Garcia. She said legally she's only used three. She said that Lisa said she used one of them to make herself look more Latina to get on the show, which Lisa had a huge reaction to that and said, absolutely not. That is not true. Jen said that, which it definitely is something that Jen would say, in my personal opinion. Then we kind of take a sidebar. We talk about Jack and the mission. Mary Cosby shows up. Can I give a hot take? I want to officially close the Mary Cosby book. I'm closing it. Boop. It's over. I was interested in Mary coming back at first because I did feel like they needed some comedic relief. But I also just think that Mary's um, like disdain for everyone and everything is more like tangible than her comedic relief. You know what I mean? Like the bad energy and the bad vibe that she gives off, like not wanting to be around these people, not wanting to go to any of these cast events. Like it's just, I feel that more than I feel like the comedic relief. Although I did think it was funny. <laughs> she was talking about um, Angie, you know, saying at first she didn't like Angie because A, she reminded her of Jen and B, because she had banana bread hands, like rubbing her banana bread hands all over her Gucci pants or whatever. But it's just like in the next second, she's like, I like Angie, Monica and Meredith. You know, everything that Mary says just makes no sense. She's mad at Heather for talking about her decor and then calls her inbred, inbred, and then calls Whitney racist. I'm like, what? Mary Cosby just coming out absolutely hot. And then she's like, well, Whitney never did anything to me. I just think that because of her history with the church that she doesn't attend anymore. I'm like, okay, Mary. Okay. So to me, this next part was the most interesting and it actually does have to do with Mary. Get the audio. Lisa Barlow, get the audio. Heather, Monica talking about Mary. So this was the moment when it all clicked for me. When Lisa yells over to Heather, get the audio, you know, of Monica talking about Mary and DMing Mary from Reality Vontese. We all know the hairdresser. Monica's ex-friend was involved with Reality Vontese, but we're like, why is this friend still doing Heather's hair? You know, like, is she still giving her blowouts every other week? She's still doing her hair what's going on. Like this is where it clicked that the hairdresser is still in the picture because she's giving Heather all of this audio. And we know this now. It's like a housewife's plea deal. We know this now because this audio has been leaked all over the internet by these same people. And it's like so internet trolly that I literally cannot keep up with it. It's like, I can't go there. But Heather already had it all. And we're hearing it after this finale aired, you know, all of these voice memos from Monica, all of these videos of her going to Jen Shaw's house. So Heather was like, I, I mean, I've called her the godfather before, but she was like going up to the hairdresser and be like, let's make a deal. You give me what you got and I'll let you off the hook. You know, it makes no sense. Why else would she be giving her lowlights, darkened roots? 
So I don't know. All these voice memos were sent to Heather by this ex-friend. And like, I don't know. Did she do her reunion hair? I mean, I thought the hair looked good. So maybe it did, but it makes sense why she's still friends with this person. Okay, there you have it. Next week is the third part. I think it's definitely going to be the most juicy. We're going to get to the black eye. We're going to get to the reality of Auntie. So we're probably going to deep dive that. Last but certainly not least, I kept this last because I love you. And I know some people don't want to hear about it. So if you want to be on your merry way, be my guest. If not, let's talk about Rachel Goes Rogue. Um, so basically... I was worried about Rachel Goes Rogue for a second because the first episode came out last Monday and then one didn't come out again. And I was like, "Uh oh, you know, she talked a lot about Lisa Vanderpump, but she served some kind of legal letter. I don't know. I was waiting like, where is this next podcast episode? But it came out. I'm just going to talk about what I found to be most interesting. What did Tom want to tell Rachel when he was having the stop filming me meltdown outside the trailer? Honestly, one of my favorite parts of the Vanderbump Rules reunion, he's chain smoking, drinking Diet Cokes or Coors or whatever it was. And he's like, stop filming it, you know, having a, a true mentee be. So according to Rachel, Sandoval wanted to voice frustration over Tom Schwartz, not sticking to the script, not sticking to the story, the timeline. So she says, we're partially acting on this show. And the main goal is to not break that fourth wall. And Sandoval, I think, wanted to maintain that. He was not happy with Schwartz when he said at the reunion that he found out about their affair in August. So she's saying that Tom Sandoval wanted to just check back in with Rachel to make sure she was going to stick to the script even after his best friend Tom Schwartz didn't, right? She says he was like, it's not cool that Schwartz came clean with his answer or he didn't come fully clean, but he definitely didn't stick to the date that Sandoval wanted him to. She says, I think he was reinforcing that I would stick to the story to keep me in his grasp so I wouldn't go rogue and expose it all. So it was definitely a control tactic and it seemed to have worked for the time being. You know, she says we're partially acting, which also applies to the whole romantic storyline between Schwartz and Rachel, which was never real. And I told you guys from the jump, that this was a fake storyline by producers. It was fake from the get-go. They're frauds. They want to make a good reality show, okay? Of course, everyone has been asking, when did Schwartz know? Um, the answer has changed a million times when it comes to Sandoval and Schwartz and Rachel, but now she's saying that he learned about it the next day. So on Watch What Happens Live, this is what Schwartz said. I learned about the affair in August. The one-night stand was in August, and then it became, from my point of view, it became an emotional affair. So here's where I think it's kind of um, gray is when in August. Was it the very next day, like Rachel says, or was it a little bit later? That's unclear because according to Rachel, Tom Sandoval called her from Schwartz's house that very next day, right? She says, I got a phone call from Tom after we hooked up the first time. My mind was racing. I was feeling so much guilt and shame about it. And I finally got a call from Sandoval. He was at Schwartz's apartment and that was a safe space for him. So Schwartz knew before we even had a conversation to talk about it and what the game plan was going to be because immediately I was going to film with Ariana and our group of girls that night. And I was saying I was going to see Ariana later. So 
she goes on to say, you know, that the three of them continued to get close because Schwartz knew what was going on between her and Sandoval. Sandoval was also facilitating the storyline between her and Schwartz. She said she didn't know if it was ever. Sandoval didn't ever come out and say this is a good decoy, but she looks back and wonders if that's the case because, you know, the first time that she and Schwartz kissed right at that little table in Mexico, she was like, that was definitely set up by producers. You know, there were light stands on the table. You know, it was just one of those things. Then when they kissed the second time, she said uh, Sandoval army crawled over to them and handed them beers like a congratulatory beer for them kissing on camera to make a juicy show like that's what they're here for right and then after that producers went up to Raquel and was like hey do you want to have a glamping trip for your birthday so she felt like she was being rewarded for going along with these storylines I've been trying to tell you now I will say I put not most of the blame because it's not like she touched lips with Rachel or Schwartz, but I was putting most of the blame on Sheena for facilitating this fake storyline because I told you, I feel like I tell you every time we talk about this, but I told you, you know, she was really worried about her job. She thought Vanderpump Rules was going to get canceled. The fact that she was like standing there with Rachel the whole entire time, really like championing Schwartz and Raquel. Now knowing that the whole entire thing was fake, you think Sheena didn't know that Raquel didn't really like Schwartz and vice versa? No, she knew. She knew, Sheena. She knew. She knew. Okay. That's all I have for you. Wow. I didn't expect to talk that long. I had a lot to get off my chest. So what do we have going on this week? We have Salt Lake City finale. We have the Southern Charm finale. Is that it? I don't know, but you know, I'll keep you updated. So make sure you're subscribed to the Patreon for extra pop and pop of batch episodes come out on Friday. You can subscribe in the show notes below, leave a review, a little five-star boop, boop. If not, I'm out of here. And as always, love you like a sis. A Huda Media Production.